All right, good to see you today. How are you doing, church? You look good. You really do. I think hot weather is good for everybody. Amen? It's a lot better than sub-zero, trust me. I've lived in all of that I ever want to see in my entire lifetime. I remember one day I got out to go to church in the morning, and it was Sunday, and it had rained, and the wind had come, and it froze, and there was about an inch of ice on the entire left side of my car. So I thought, well, I I can't get in the door, so I went and got on the other side. Silly me thinking I could actually go up the driveway, up the driveway. Well, I ended up having to get a ride and walking up to the end of the street. So I thank God for that because you don't have to shovel sunshine. (laughs) Amen? Well, um, this really is an exciting month that we have ahead of us, and it is... uh, I love the fact that God loves to put his people in impossible situations. Have you ever experienced that? Ever just said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he goes, I like it when I hear that from your mouth. He does because that gives him the opportunity to move in and do something really special. We are really down to the wire. And God has, has allowed us to get to this place, I really believe, to trust him fully and completely with all that we have. It wasn't that many weeks ago that we had a firm commitment for a loan. And that loan didn't work out. And I started laughing. I literally started laughing. I went home and told my wife, and she laughed. And I told George Haynes, and he says, we better get to work. And I thought, you know, God, you... You knew that was going to happen. It was only uh, about four weeks before that that Pastor Coop, you may remember, came from uh, uh, Canada and spoke to us here. And that night before he spoke, he sat down and he said, let me tell you about our church situation. We, we were in a hotel for seven years. And I thought to myself, all I could do was pray under my breath and say, oh God, I don't want to be in a theater for seven years. And he began to tell about how he had private financing and that financing was going to come together and, and two days before they were going to close, that well dried up. He went up to the mountains to pray and fast. He said, I couldn't pray. I couldn't fast. I was a nervous wreck. I drove home. I thought I might as well be nervous at home. And as I got home, I, I got a call from someone and said, you know, I heard about what happened and I think I have a solution for you. And God miraculously worked in that situation to make, to turn a deal around in 48 hours. And when I heard his story, all I could think of is that poor guy. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody do that? They tell you a bad story, and you get that poor guy, and then it happens to you? <laughs> and all I could do is, as, I, as this happened, I thought, God, you are the God of miracles. And to see what has happened really in the course of the last several weeks with several banks really competing for our business in a sense that I really believe we are right on the doorstep of a great miracle of God. But God always keeps you on the doorstep until he's ready to open up the miracle. Amen? I want to tell you a story about uh, Philip II of Spain. The year was 1588. The Spanish Armada was the pride of the Marquis of Santa Cruz. Everywhere around the world, people feared the Spanish armada. They were literally conquering the world. Great Britain at that time really had a a very small, inadequate fleet of ships. And word came that Spain was going to invade Great Britain. 
Queen Elizabeth, who was totally committed to Jesus Christ. She was a leader unlike many leaders that we have today, who believed in the power of prayer and fasting and believed that God could work a miracle. Do you believe in that God? Do you believe in that God? You see, that has to come from deep within you. You can't just have an intellectual understanding of a God like that. You have to have a volitional and emotional. You have to have the kind of faith that says, I believe God can do some great things. Queen Elizabeth knew that their army and their navy was totally inadequate in that battle. She did something unusual. She called a nation to prayer and fasting. In a letter that she wrote, she was asked the question, how can we most effectively resist and defeat the army, the navy of Spain? And she said, the most effective weapon against this enemy is the fear of God. Proverbs says that fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The first step in every one of our lives is the fear of God. That is the respect of God and who God is and that God wants to be God in your life and Lord of every dimension of your life. All across England, people humbled themselves in prayer and in fasting. When the Armada arrived and came into the channel, signal fires were lit on every hill that the Armada had arrived. Suddenly, a fierce storm came up and blew most of the Spanish ships up against the coast of Holland. Many of them sank. Strangely, the storm didn't affect the smaller English ships that were able to sail in and out of the larger ships and set them on fire. The nation of Holland acknowledged the providence of God. As they commemorated that event, they minted a coin in 1588. On one side were ships sinking. On the other side were men kneeling in prayer. And the inscription read thus, Man proposes, but God disposes. I want to talk to you about what were the subject of, of really finding God in those tight moments of life, which all of us have experienced or will experience. Here's a truth, an observation I want to make. The first one is this. He brings you in to a situation, not to leave you there, but to bring you out of a situation. The process of bringing you into a situation is to transform you into the image of the invisible God, to change your nature, to change your heart, to do something very unique in your life. He brings you out of something in order to bring you in. He brought Israel out of Egypt so he could bring them into the promised land. Don't ever begin to think as you look at your life and difficulties happen and things arise that God is bringing you into something or bringing you out of something to leave you there. He doesn't bring us that far to depart from us. He means, he means good for us in the end. Here's another truth. Maybe you've heard this one. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. We've got a lot of variations of that. You heard a couple of weeks ago, our, our church plant over in Abu Dhabi said, you can be in the middle of a miracle and not like it. You can be in the middle of a miracle and laugh, cry, weep. Here's all kinds of variations of being in the middle of a miracle. But you know, God is up to something, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to expect God to release a supernatural provision in your life. I want you to expect it, not hope for it, not even just pray for it, pray yes, but expect God to work because God is a God of miracles. 
Let me take you on a journey in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18, and I want to talk to you about the doctrine of gratitude. Are you a grateful person? Are you a thankful person? What comes out of your mouth? Is it the things that people want to hear? You know, it occurred to me one day I was telling people about all my woes. They didn't seem that interested. Have you ever had that experience? You know, I'm just all excited about all the difficulties I'm going through, and I want everybody to know about it and say, oh, that's bad, and I don't want anybody to one-up me with, oh, yeah, that's nothing. And it was like the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, aren't you grateful for what you do have? And it was that, it was that come to grips with reality that we need to have an attitude of gratitude in everything we do. Even in some of your worst moments, you could probably agree with me that you have, better, have it better than most people on planet Earth. And yet we look at life and we get this kind of negative attitude, and God wants us to understand something about gratitude. Let me show you how God positions that in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. You ever forget God during your day? You just kind of go through life. You know you're a Christian. You know God's there. But unless something comes up, you don't just stop and acknowledge God. He said, beware. There, it's possible for you to forget God in your day-to-day routine. Beware lest you forget the Lord your God. How? By not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Doesn't seem possible, does it? That God could take Israel out of Egypt where they were slaves, He could enrich them with silver and gold from the Egyptians. He could cause them to pass through the Red Sea. They could get into the promised land. They could start to build their wealth. They could start to increase their herds. They could build beautiful houses, and they would forget God. God would not be central in their life. And yet, how human is it? And, and sometimes we, we suffer from that, that law of diminishing returns. Whatever we have, we want more. We say, well, that's nice, but I'd like more. It's a nice car, but I'd like a better car. I'd like a nicer house. I'd like more income. I'd like more, more, more. And God's going, wait a minute. Have you done an inventory lately? What do you really, really have? Have you been thankful for that? Have you had an attitude of gratitude for that? He said it was God who brought you out of the house of bondage who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water from you for you out of a flinty rock. You ever had those encounters with the fiery serpents, with the scorpions of life, with the dry wells of life? You ever had those moments where you thought you couldn't go on? I can't tell you how many men I've met with and just tell me, I don't even know where to go with this. I don't even want to tell my wife. I'm so frustrated. I'm so discouraged with my job, with my life, with with my accomplishments. And that's, that's not uncommon to hear that. 
And yet I just want to reassure you that God didn't bring you out not to bring you in. That God isn't causing you to have a setback because he, he wants to bring you into a comeback. That God wants to do more in you and through you than you could ever imagine. Just trust him because fiery serpents will come and scorpions will come into your life. And you're going to live in a thirsty land, but God is going to plant a well where you don't expect it. God is going to give you deep water and cool water when you least expect it. And then you're going to look around and go, it must be the Lord. I remember if I go back and think about those first couple of weeks when we really had no equipment and no money. And I think back and I look at where we are now and how God has allowed us to come so far. Literally, banks are surprised. They can't believe that we started 15 months ago. And I just am happy to report that we only need about $250,000 more dollars. Hey, that's pretty encouraging because can I tell you right now, come Tuesday, we will have $1 million in liquid assets. I want you to think about that for a moment. We have been in business 15 months and we've been able to save. People have generously given and we have over a million dollars in liquid assets to buy a building. Does that... Does that hit you somewhere between the eyes? When I say we only need $250,000, that's the most encouraging words out of my mouth. Now you're thinking, well, how do I do that? Well, what you're going to do is you're going to quit drinking Starbucks for a week. That's at least $50,000, amen? Prices are going up on coffee, you know? You're going to wash your own car. There's another $15 a week. You know, what happens is we hear big numbers and we think, well, I don't have any of that kind of money. I can't help with that. You know what, what the church is all about? It's about all of us collectively using what we have for the glory of God. And that's what we've done over the last 15 months. We've said, we're going to try to live as frugally as we can. We're going to pray hard. We're going to work hard. We're going to serve and thank God. We have a whole staff of, of, of volunteers who actually do as much or, uh, and sometimes more than staff do. And that's giving back into the ministry. That's allowing this thing to move forward powerfully for the kingdom purpose because we know that just as, as God had a purpose in putting a temple there in Jerusalem, God has a purpose in establishing this church with a foundation and a home where we can go in there and worship and teach the Word of God and pray and, and actually not get run out at 1130. Amen? Amen. Give Him glory. Well, it was God who feeds you in the wilderness. We didn't feed ourselves. It's not because we've got a bunch of rich people in our church. We don't. We have people with big hearts, hungry for God. When you get hungry for God, amazing things begin to happen. You begin to look at your life totally different because you know it's not about what you store up here on earth. It's what you store up in heaven. You begin to see the faces of people who need Jesus. You begin to look into the hearts of those Christians who are suffering and going through difficult times. You say, I'm going to find a way to help that person in the name of Jesus. And what God does, he said, I'm going to take those people in, in, of Israel, I'm going to let them wander in the wilderness, and then I'm going to give them water from an unlikely source, a rock. And then I'm going to give them manna from heaven. And it says here in verse 16, which your fathers did not know. And why did he do that? That he might humble you that he might test you and do good in the end, then you will say in your heart, by my power and my might have, 
has gained me wealth. God never wants to hear that out of our mouth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore with, to his fathers uh, as it is to this day. Let me talk to you a little bit about the place of blessing. And when you study Scripture, you're going to find out there's a lot of different ways that God will take you down this road of blessing. But I want to identify three right now. The first one is referred to in Scripture as the keys of David. It's interesting. Here's David who is really kind of unlikely to really succeed in so many ways because it seemed like he made a lot of mistakes. He blew it. He didn't live always for God. Sometimes he lived for David. Can you relate to that? He sinned against the Lord, and yet the Lord restored him, and God called him a man after his own heart. And David somehow had the ability to open things that no one else could open. In Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22, the Scripture refers to the keys of David. But that is picked up from from Eliakim, who is going to have the key of David. It's picked up in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And listen to what it says, because I want you to walk out of here today with the key of David in your hand. I want you to be able to unlock the mysteries of God. I want you to be able to see things in the promises of God that you haven't seen before. These things says he who is holy, so writes the Revelation. He who has the key of David. You might just be praying right now, God, I want the key of David. I want to unlock Scripture. It says, who shuts and opens. I know your works, and I have set before you an open door so that no one can shut it. Thank you, God, for the open door. In your business, thank God for the open door. In your family, thank God for the open door. Never give up hope on a child. Never give up hope on a spouse. Never give up hope in your life for your, your physical well-being, your emotional well-being, or your mental well-being. God sets before you an open door that no one can shut, for you have little strength. There it is. You see it? God brings you to the little strength so he can open a door. If you have a lot of strength and you say, look what I can do, God says, okay, you go ahead and do that. And when you get frustrated, you'll come see me. I promise you. I promise you. He says, you have little strength, but have kept my word and have not denied my name. So what does it say here? It says, first of all, I want to tap into the key of David. I want to have little strength in terms of my own ability, great strength in the ability of God. I want to be true to the word of God, and I want to not deny his name. When God gives you an opportunity to talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus. Don't walk away and say, well, that was a great opportunity. If it was a great opportunity, you just go back, pick up the phone, you go back and talk about Jesus. Last night about 11 o'clock, I got a call from Craig, and he said, the TriCaster Studios down. We're not going to have words. We're not going to have lyrics. We're not going to have all that stuff going on. And I said, okay, what's our backup plan? How are we, we going to deal with this for the next week? And so we've got that all solved, so we have redundant systems. And I hung up the phone. And right there, the Spirit of God says, you didn't pray. Pick up the phone. Hey, Craig, we didn't pray. Oh, yeah, let's pray. So we're praying on the phone. Just giving God the glory on the phone. Whether we have it, whether we don't have it, always go back to that place, remembering God. There's also not only the key of David, but there's also the decree of Job. It's an interesting scripture. It's found in Job chapter 22 and 28. It says, you shall also decree a thing and it shall be established. 
Do you know that you have spiritual authority as a believer to call those things which are not as though they are? That's faith. And what Job is, is telling us here is that we can decree a thing. We can call those things which are not. And that's what it says in, in Ab- about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, that he, he was looking for, uh, for a place that God was going to make. And he was looking for the situation of God. And he said he called those things which were not as though they are. That's faith. And then third, there is the Spirit of God. You see, if you're going to see these threefold blessings I see here, you're going to have to have the key of David. That is, you're going to unlock the promises of God. You're going to have to have the decree of Job. That is, you're going to call those things which are not as though they are. And then you're going to have to have the Spirit of God living powerfully in you, filling you, leading you, guiding. You want to walk in the fullness of God in all that He does. It's interesting that God says when you keep the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments. Remember that back from Deuteronomy? But look how Ezekiel picks this up, and he looks down this corridor of time, and he says this in Ezekiel 36, 27, and I will put my spirit within you. You see, you are the temple of the living God. The spirit of God lives in you. He lives in you for a reason. First thing he's going to do is he's going to redecorate. Now, my wife is a great decorator. In fact, uh, she can change a room up faster than anything. I mean, she can move a 500-pound couch. She can move a big piece of furniture. And when I get home, she can't move a chair. I don't understand it. She's got like some superwoman cape she puts on when I'm at work. And and I come home and I go, how did you get that over there? We had this roll-top desk, this giant heavy roll-top desk. Somehow she moved it from one room to another room when I gave it to a guy, I gave it to a guy because he wanted it so bad, I just couldn't stand it. I, and I don't think that works on other stuff now. Don't be coming to see me and say, hey, I want your stuff. But he came over, and, and so it took like three of us to move it out to the van. I, I should have just got my wife left, put on the cape, go get it in the car. God, Spirit, what does he do on the inside? The first thing he does is he redecorates your heart. He gets inside of you, and he says, oh, you know what? That looks like a little bit of doubt over there. I think we need to deal with that. Oh, that's a little bit of darkness over there, a little bit of compromise over there. I need to deal with that. I need to work on some of these areas of your life. I will put my spirit in you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And yes, to keep my judgments and do them. You know, walking in the Christian faith is all about his spirit in you. You can't do it in your own power. You have to release the Spirit of God to work in you and through you. You know what I see happening right now in America? I see a line is being drawn in the sand. A line of darkness and light. Things are happening so fast in our nation. Laws are changing so quickly in our nation. It's almost hard to even keep up with what's happening, let alone react or even make a difference in what's happening. It's almost like we, we're on a runaway train to disaster. The Bible says that as days grow later and later in turn the, the closeness of the return of Christ, that darkness is going to rise up, but at the same time, those who shine brightly will rise up and be even brighter because dark is the scenery in which we live. The principalities and powers have taken new ground in the spiritual realm as they position themselves for this last time offensive. There is an offensive coming in these last days of demonic spirits, 
of, of ungodly laws, of ungodly people, of compromise of religion. And trust me, if you think you can live the Christian life you live today, 10 years from today, the way you're living it now, you are desperately wrong because the world is changing quickly. And you're going to have to decide now. Now is when you're going to have to decide, am I committed to Jesus? Am I going to live for Christ? Am I going to just do church or am I going to do Jesus? Am I going to really live in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God? You have to decide that. You see, when Israel went into that wilderness, the second thing I want you to see is the house of bondage. Because he warned them, he said, you know, when you go into the land and your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, you forget you were in the house of bondage. Do you know you can go back in the house of bondage? Or you can want to go back in the house of bondage. You can say, you know, it wasn't so bad living for myself. It wasn't so bad in the world. It wasn't so bad. And, and you, you start to think about things and all of a sudden you forget about the fiery serpents and the scorpions. You forget about how thirsty it was back there in the wilderness. You forget about the lack of manna in your life, that heavenly food from God. I was reading in a, the writings of a rabbi just the other day, and I came across it. it was so interesting. He was talking about how Israel would get into the wilderness and they would murmur and they were complaining. They didn't like what God was doing. And it said, so God gave them the desire of their heart but he sent leanness to their soul. And this is what this rabbi wrote. Listen to it. What we fear will come upon us. What we fear will come upon us. For God will allow those very things to rise up and attack us and judge us. So that the false gods of our hearts will be exposed. Then we will turn back to faith in the true God who works miracles. Now let me read that again because that is so powerful. What we fear will come upon us. For God will allow those very things to rise up and attack us and judge us so that the false gods of our heart will be exposed and then we will turn back in faith to the true God who works miracles. You see, God leads us in so God can lead us through. That Psalm 23 always bugged me. You know what it is? Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why would you go that way? Have you ever read it like that? God, there's got to be another way. Why do we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? And the second thing, if we're going through there, why do we have to walk? Why can't we run? Let's get in and out as fast as we can because there's scary stuff in that valley. And yet God says he's walking with us. My rod and my staff, they're going to comfort you along the way. In other words, I'm going to guide you and I'm going to protect you, but you're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And if that metaphor doesn't get strange enough, then it gets even stranger when you get through the valley of the shadow of death because what, he, what does he say? And thou prepare a table before me, I like that, in the presence of my enemies. I don't like that. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Do you talk to the Bible like that? Because I'm talking to the Bible, I'm thinking, you know, God, this is a bad place for a picnic. 
We're on the battlefield, and then he comes around, he anoints my head with oil. No, this is no time for this. This is no vitalis right now. We, we got to move on. And then he says, and your cup overflows. Now we're going to drink wine, and everybody's sitting around here in the battlefield. But see, God has a purpose. He causes us to hunger, and then he feeds us in a way that we would not expect. You see, because if it comes according to your expectation, then you say you have an explanation for it. He humbles us so He can exalt us in due season. The Scripture says, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God that He might exalt you in due season. In other words, the way He wants, not the way you want. And exaltation by God's standards may be totally different than by your standards. He tests us so He can prove us. Why does God test you? He wants to prove what's in your heart to you. He knows what's there. He wants you to see what's really in your heart. And sometimes it's only by pressure that you really understand who you are. It's all for our good. In the end, it's about being like Jesus. Fiery serpents. You ever had a fiery serpent come at you? Bite is not deadly. But everything around that bite is inflamed and burns. And as you go through life, you're going to encounter fiery serpents. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16 says this, taking up the shield of faith whereby we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And then how about flying serpents? You see, when they were in that wilderness, they encountered not just fiery serpents, but flying serpents. Apparently, there are five different species of of flying snakes in that wilderness. Isn't that encouraging? bad enough they're crawling on the ground. They're going to leap from a tree on you. Apparently, they have the ability to flatten themselves out and become aerodynamic in their whole approach to to flying. And they will leap out, flatten themselves out, and land on you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not comforting. I'm in the wilderness. It's bad enough. I got no water, got no food. I I got snakes on the ground, fiery serpents on the ground, and now they're They're jumping from trees on me. And I realize it's just a battle. It's the battle we're in. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 says, You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Yes, the enemy is airborne. He can't ultimately hurt you, but he can scare you to death if you let him. The spirit, that spirit of the prince of the power is now working in the sons of disobedience. There's also poisonous serpents. You see, in, in that wilderness, there were those that would strike and kill the person. And we see that in Scripture. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, and verses 17 and 20, Jesus had sent out the 70 disciples to go out and to preach the kingdom of God. And they came back and they said, even demons are subject to us in your name. And he said unto them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Imagine that. Demons are subject to my name. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then he says this, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means will hurt you. That's faith. You have to trust God. Nevertheless, and I love how he sums this up, nevertheless, Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Have you rejoiced in that lately? My name is written 
in heaven. Oh, I can rejoice the authority, I can rejoice the power, but Jesus knows my name and he loves me. Let me show you a little bit about the kingdom of boldness. We are called believers for a reason. The battle is a battle of faith. If we're going to win the battle, it's going to be in faith. And as you learn to live by faith, you're going to find there are several stages of faith that are required before a victory is won. Write some of these down. Here's the first one, the seed of faith. God will put an idea in your head, and you'll go, you know what, that's the seed of faith. You're going to have to water it. You're going to have to fertilize it. You're going to have to do something with it. If you don't, it will die. A lot of great things God put in your heart have died in the past because you didn't water, didn't fertilize it with enough faith. Then there's the courage of faith. That's when you go public with what you want God to do. Some people don't want to go public with what God wants them to do because you say, well, I look like an idiot. That's why I never tell people I'm going to lose weight. Because everybody wants to check in on you or measure you up. You know, they're going, well, it doesn't look like it's working, you know. I, so I just say, forget it. You know, I'm about 200 and none of your business pounds and leave me alone. The courage of faith. But then there's the fight of faith. The fight of faith is when you, you stand right on the, on the doorstep and you say, God, you have to come through. If you don't come through, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you're fighting and the enemy's saying, you know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And you just stand strong and you refuse to doubt. And that brings you into the rest of faith. You say, God, I've done all I can do. I trust you. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to fear. I put it in your hands. God, work a miracle. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to, you, to your fathers, as it is this day. You see, kingdom boldness is a result, I think, of three things. Number one, humility. We have to walk humbly before God. You know, if you think about what God has done in your life over the course of your life, it is to bring you to a place of just really realizing who you are and who God is. That God is God and we're not. And as we walk humbly before our God, good things come out of that. Blessings come out of that. Secondly, generosity. When we're kind and generous to people, when we honor people, when we love people, it's such a great thing. This past Monday, we, had our, we have our men's Bible study every other Monday and uh, we probably had, I don't know, 75 or 80 guys there, and we were in the home there of, uh, of Ron and Phoebe, and every week they set up chairs. They went out and bought 80 chairs just for men's Bible study. They set up, they take it down. They bring food and they feed us so that the, the men can go eat and the wives won't have to listen to their husbands come home and gripe about being hungry. That's what they said. That's generosity. You walk humbly, you're generous, and then you have an attitude of gratitude. God, I want to be thankful for everything. I want to thank you, God, when news comes, it's good, and when news comes, it's bad. I want to just have that attitude that says, thank you, Jesus. Don't you love it when people have that? Thank you, Jesus. I want you to just say it with me right now. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, for all that I have, all that I ever will have, good or bad, I thank you, Jesus. You know, we're coming to this time of communion this morning, and as we share
the cup and the bread together, it's a time for us to say, thank you, Jesus. It's a time for us to say, you paid a debt I could not pay. You died for me, for my sins. You hung on a cross and suffered the shame and the agony and the pain that I might have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts now for this time of communion, God, I want to just give praise and glory and honor to you. For God, you have done great things. And God, as we take this bread and we take this cup, we do it in a way that says, thank you, Jesus. We want to be grateful. We don't want to to, to be greedy and looking for more. We just want to be thankful for everything you have and for the journey you've put us on. And we know, God, you didn't bring us out except to bring us in. God, 